This episode was paid in full by DTN Progressive Farmer. With summer wrapping up across the Northern Hemisphere, July's momentum for the U.S.'s crop has largely faded into heat and dryness. With fall around the corner, how will weather continue to affect the outlook for harvest and the winter to come? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. As a sultry August turns to September and the weather world is riveted by hurricanes and tropical storms, farmers across the Corn Belt are continuing to deal with unexpectedly persistent hot and dry weather that's sapping the last hope for a yield rebound. With harvest already queued up, attention is starting to shift to the further future, where an intensifying El Nino indicates that this winter could be very different from the last three. To help us prepare for the weeks and months ahead, DTN's team lead for ag weather John Baranek joins us to dig into where the weather models have offered clarity and where they've clouded the picture. He'll cover his expectations going into harvest and where he thinks there's still room for a wild card of extreme weather to mix things up. We'll dig into upcoming drought conditions for the Southern Plains, talk through the precip and wildfire picture for the West, and better understand the global weather picture with a particular focus on Latin America and the El Nino changes ahead. Then we'll check in on John's winter outlook right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at mydtn.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. Team lead for Ag Weather John Baranek joins us today to discuss the Ag Weather Forecast as we dive into the key harvest season. John, I wonder if we could start by talking a little bit about the summer that we had and thinking about expectations going into the fall and harvest season, give us kind of the the background on what we've seen over the past few weeks. Yeah, this, the summer was just a wild period. You, I mean, usually we talk about some crazy things that happen during the summer, but we don't talk about widespread crazy. We were battling between the old La Nina and the coming El Nino. And we got flavors of both throughout the, the course of the, the summer season. We started off with some heat and dryness. We built up drought across a lot of uh, the Corn Belt. Really, most of the Corn Belt had some sort of drought category in it at some point. And then July hit and we finally got some rainfall to come in. And it came with some nice cooler temperatures as well, a lot more milder 
conditions. We were able to eat away at drought in some of those areas. Some areas were not so lucky. Areas like Minnesota, Wisconsin, Northeast Iowa didn't really get in on a lot of that rainfall and it was sparse in some other spots as well. But we saw just a dramatic turnaround of conditions from June into July. That continued into early August as well. We had still some good conditions and then we shut off the spigot and, and cranked up the heat in the mid to late August. And we've been dealing with that for the last few weeks here. We've had some breaks in that heat, which has been nice, but it hasn't come with a whole heck of a lot of rainfall, unfortunately. So since about mid-August, I don't think there's a spot in the Corn Belt that's really had above normal rainfall, except for maybe parts of Ohio and Michigan. Other than that, it's been pretty much below normal rainfall and hotter than normal temperatures to close out the, the fill period and heading on into maturity for a lot of the crop is just not going the way that farmers were hoping. And I was suggesting, honestly, we were thinking of up and down, a lot of variability to it, but I wasn't thinking big chunks of time. I was thinking you get a week of hot, you get a week of cool, you get some uh, precipitation in there and it just all works out. That's nothing like we saw this season. So it's been wild. I'll just say that's just how I've been picturing it. It's just, I just didn't really see this kind of thing happening this summer. History certainly didn't suggest it. The models weren't really calling for it. Every time we were looking at some rainfall coming, they were delaying it in June. And then they were calling for too much of it in July. And it went okay. We could have used some more. And just the return to the heat hasn't come as predicted either. So the models have been having, I'd say they're struggling quite a bit here over the course of summer. It's been hard to trust them. I'm curious that I think the last time we talked and we've checked in with Todd Holman a couple of times over the summer too, about the possibility of some timely rains, some more moderate temperatures could affect the crop still, given the data that we got out of the DTN digital yield tour. Thinking about those maybes and could be's that we talked about back then, does it seem to you like the crop is pretty much set at where we saw it in the early part of August? Uh, no, we went down from there. Basically, right after the digital yield tour came out and we saw this massive turnaround, like you and, and Todd had mentioned, <laughs> basically right after that, things just went went down the drain and we shut off all the rain and we cranked up the heat. So we lost a lot of that momentum that we had kind of gained throughout July and, and early August and went the other way on it. I think at the time, if I'm not mistaken, the national corn yield was something like 177 out of the digital yield tour. And the USDA was pointing at something like 175 or something like that. But I haven't seen estimates since then that have been anywhere near that. So we've definitely gone down. The crop ratings have continued to fall, which isn't surprising for this time of year. They usually do anyway as we approach harvest, but I think they're falling a lot more than people had hoped depending or just considering how much of a turnaround we had. We just thought we were building some momentum for a good end of the year and just it just didn't turn out that way, unfortunately. Switching gears a little bit and looking ahead, I think dryness is not necessarily what we want July and August, but looking to harvest, dryness is a little bit more desirable. Talk a little bit as you look to September, October, how are things looking I, with the grain of salt that is the models aren't doing so hot? What are, what are you seeing for harvest weather? That's really the, the, the key point here. And models haven't been doing well, but unfortunately we have to rely on them. I usually like to, to look at history. That's what DTN does here to, to forecast long range weather is, is we look in the past at the years that look similar to this one and, and kind of project forward from there. But what we see with a lot of these things that we should, I guess, just jump into to El Nino 
talk with this. We've gone into this, the strong El Nino. If, if you look at the numbers, we're at a plus 1.5, 1.6 in the kind of critical region there. If you're above 0.5, that means you're an El Nino. And if you hit this two degree above uh, normal, this, this two degree mark, it's, it, that has only happened four times in our recorded history since 1950. And that's what kind of, uh, it, it's not a technical term at, by any means, but that's what a lot of us forecasters set the mark as uh, a super El Nino. And I think we talked about that potential uh, sometime earlier this year, but we're pretty close to that, honestly. And models have us getting pretty close to that mark in October or November. So coming up here, and like I mentioned, it's only happened four times in recorded history over the past 70 plus years. And when we look at the history of those four years, all of those falls look different. Sometimes we had some cooler temperatures in the North Central. Sometimes it was across the South. One of those years was 2015. It was just blasted hot across the entire country. Precipitation was all over the board, but it looked pretty variable. And in other words, history is not giving us a, a really good indication on where we're headed. So we're reliant on those computer models. And unfortunately, they come with a lot of caveats, especially the farther you look out, the, the worse they perform. So we always, like you said, I take that with a grain of salt. So what they're showing is at least through September here, if we're out doing some early harvesting, we're hoping for the grain to dry down. We've been in, in, like I said, this kind of little up and down pattern here. We had some really hot days earlier this month. Places all the way up to Minneapolis almost hit 100 degrees. I think it hit 98 or 99. And we had widespread 90s and 100s across the, the middle of the Corn Belt. And then this week here, we pushed all that heat down to the south. So people like you, Sarah, down there in New Mexico or others in Texas are still dealing with the heat here for a little while. But we'll get another cold front to come through this weekend into early next week and really push all that heat out and keep us a little mild, but it's not going to bring a whole heck of a lot of precipitation for too much of the corn belt, the Western corn belt, but mostly the plains. So areas that do more winter wheat planting and, and farming look like they'll get some better rainfall next week. After that though, in, in September, at least models are trying to flip us around to the heat again. Now they were trying to do that for this week as well and next week, and that's not going to happen. So we'll see if that holds true or not, but flipping around back to some heat. Now we got to remind ourselves that we're in September and our normal highs and lows typically fall throughout the month and they fall rapidly towards the end of the month as well. So getting way above normal temperatures isn't going to really mean like it's going to be super hot anywhere for the most part. So I don't think we're headed towards widespread 90s and 100s again, but we could be looking at temperatures enough to continue drying out the crop. And that sets us up actually for, for pretty good conditions then, as most of us get rolling here, uh, late September, October timeframe. Now the models again, <laughs> make us a little bit more variable in the uh, upper level pattern. Uh, a lot of waffling back and forth on where they want to put ridges and troughs and systems and temperatures and precipitation all over the map. If there's been any sort of consistency, it's been in October to start bringing in some cooler temperatures into the Northern Plains, keeping the heat off into the Southeast. And that does actually produce some good rainfall potential. If you can imagine if we got colder temperatures off in the Northwest and warm temperatures off to the Southeast, there's a zone in between right through the Corn Belt uh, where that would promote the storm track. So we do have above normal potential there 
a lot of that right now is being focused in the plains, but we could easily see that spread out through uh, other areas of the region. And then into November, it looks like we start to cool down a bit. And again, it's models. They're several, they're, they're two months in advance. It's hard. It's very hard to trust them over a, a an entire month of time, but it's, it wouldn't be surprising to me to see a, a kind of a trough set up across the middle of the country and produce some cooler temperatures. But it also, the, the, when, those, when those troughs move in, they, they usually get reinforced. And those reinforcements come with storm systems. And so they're producing some better rainfall across the southern half of the country. By that point, by November, usually the southern half of the country doesn't have much to harvest anyway. We're more focused on winter wheat planting, and that would be better for that. But as you get farther north, we have some cooler temperatures and some active weather. I hate to throw out the S word early here for a lot of people that dreaded four-letter word snow. But, you know, things line up, right? We might be talking about an early snowstorm here. Again, that would have to be uh, a lot of caveats to that. We have to get the models to be right. We have to get everything to line up correctly for that to happen. But it is something that, that I'll be watching here closely to see if, if that comes to fruition. If that were to happen and we still have crops out in the field, then we have to start worrying about um, uh, significant delays to harvest. Otherwise, the way we've really dried out here at the end of August and early September, uh, we don't have a whole lot of heavy precipitation for too many areas for the rest of September. I think we're, we're, we're set up pretty good, I think, for harvest, even with some of these caveats that I mentioned about potential in October for some better rainfall across the Corn Belt and some cooler temperatures there in, in November that might uh, screw with a, a few of us as well. But overall, uh, I think this should go off uh, without too many troubles. I want to put <laughs> aside the kind of winter outlook for a minute and talk a little bit more about, you mentioned storms. Thinking about the next couple of weeks in particular, one of the big stories today is a hurricane in off the coast of the Atlantic. I'm curious how you're watching storms and other wild cards through the Delta across the Corn Belt in Texas, in the Southeast right now. Yeah, it's great. You brought up those wild cards because there's always something with the weather and tropical features are a good place to start with that because you know, they happen all the time uh, during this part of the year. And they're big, impactful events. So we are watching. It just uh, got up to a hurricane here yesterday as we're talking. So on Wednesday the 6th, Hurricane Lee is out there in the Atlantic and is, is headed northwest towards uh, mainland U.S. One of the things that these systems really need to actually hit the U.S. is to have kind of a ridge in place, an upper level ridge that kind of helps guide it in to the U.S., what we are going to see, though, is we're going to see an eastern trough, and that will kind to have the tendency, at least, to keep it off the coast and recurve it north and northeast through the Atlantic. Again, caveat. <laughs> I think that's going to be my word for the podcast here is caveat. If it's not that strong or if that trough digs a little bit too far south into the southeast, we could actually see it curl back up into the northeast. So, there's a lot of ifs and buts with that, but something we're going to watch. Obviously, it doesn't have a huge impact for us, agriculturally speaking, more kind of infrastructure and stuff going on in the Northeast, but that would be the biggest concern with that one. In terms of other tropical features playing a role, they could certainly pop up. And uh, when the waters are so warm like they are down there in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, those things can just happen off the tail end of a front 
because an upper level trough is in their region for some reason. Um, they can just happen for whatever reason and, and happen very quickly and rapidly, especially with how warm that was. We saw that with Hurricane Adalia last week where it was a small little tropical storm and it turned into a Cat 4 hurricane in a day across the eastern Gulf of Mexico. So you know, we always have to be a little cognizant of those things. Luckily with El Nino and that, that kind of trough setup I, I mentioned, we see a little bit more of that during the fall season. There's always gaps in there and sometimes these storms can find a gap, but typically we, we have fewer hurricanes overall and fewer landfalling hurricanes during El Nino conditions. So we'll be looking hopefully at a reduced risk here across the U.S. for the rest of the fall, but can never rule out anything. Even this one out there that looks like it'll stay offshore, Hurricane Lee could always find its way in somehow. I want to ask about drought conditions in the West. You've mentioned it, obviously, the heat and the dryness in the Corn Belt. Give us an update on where we are now and given the El Nino feature that we have and how that might evolve in the coming months, what kind of outlook does the Southern Plains have as they get through planting and look to the 2023-2024 season? Yeah, outside of a few spots here and there that have that have hit some rains in August, we've been real dry and Texas has just been baking in the heat all summer long. We just have not been able to get rid of that heat ridge down there uh, for any serious length of time outside of a few days. And you look at kind of the extreme temperatures, Dallas is, and I haven't looked at it recently, but I remember looking at it a couple of weeks ago where the city of Dallas has basically had 100 degree temperatures two straight months with maybe five or so days below hundred degrees. That's not typical. Usually they have temperatures in the nineties and they'll creep up into the hundreds every so often, but consistently over hundred degrees uh, for that length of time is just nuts. And we've seen the drought just build consistently over the last few weeks. We've got widespread extreme to exceptional drought, that D3, D4, deep red drought uh, on the drought monitor map across most of Texas and Louisiana, uh, getting into New Mexico as well. So those Southern Plains areas have really seen that build. We've never really gotten rid of it across Nebraska and Kansas. We had some good rains there in July, and a lot of that short-term drought was eliminated. Some areas there had five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 inches of rain in some spots uh, throughout the month of July. So it really helped ease that situation. But that long-term drought, we've been talking about drought there for years, really, thanks to La Nina. And we haven't been able to, to really eliminate those long-term deficits. So we don't have a whole lot of built-in soil moisture. I know the aquifers and everything down there are running low. So I know irrigation has been an issue. And we really need these fall rains to, to start picking up so that we can get some good establishment of that winter wheat crop. I talked about how we might get some good rains next week. And we have that zone really in October that kind of goes right through there, That'll, that should help out, I think. Whether or not we get rid of the drought is probably not going to happen. Uh, we've just had so much of it for so long. Uh, it's going to take seasons of good rainfall to really eliminate it, but we can at least get a good stand on our uh, winter wheat crop going into winter. And that's what I'm looking for. Uh, I, I'm more optimistic about having at least a good stand for most areas going into, into the winter time. We'll see if that actually occurs or not. Even if we have above normal chances for stuff, that doesn't mean it all is necessarily going to happen. Same thing with El Nino. El Nino during winter really favors a southern storm track, and that would pr promote some good rainfall there for the southern plains especially, but also a lot of the central plains. So I think that winter wheat crop at least 
has some potential there. While the, the drought might not go away, at least having a, a decent looking crop going into 2024. We'll see how that all works out though. We talked earlier in the summer and in the spring when we were talking about the wetness in the West and the the relatively like quite good situation. We talked about the risk that creates to increase the potential for wildfire in the later part of the summer. I wonder if you could give us an update on where the kind of wetness in the West is at this point and what you think as you look over to, to the next couple of months likely to continue. Are we, is, was this an aberration of a very wet season or yeah, what's the situation for the West? Yeah, the West got some help. We talked about it earlier this year when they just got deluged with rain in the Southwest there and built up all kinds of uh, snowpack and really helped out their soils. They drew, they dried out, obviously, for the spring and summer months for a lot of areas. And we saw the drought creep back into the Four Corners area and really built up into Washington and, and Northwest Oregon to Northern Montana, kind of up in that corner right there. And it was starting to look like we might start building drought across really the middle of that region uh, as well. But they got some help with with a, another hurricane. Uh, that was Hurricane Hillary. Uh, it was another kind of wild event where we don't expect tropical storms to go up through California, but we saw one. And usually we get some rainfall from some of those hurricanes or tropical storms there that come up from Mexico, but the waters are usually really cold. And so they die out and they may be producing some rains in some areas and flooding, but nothing major. This year was different. We've got some really warm waters relatively off the coast of California. And so that hurricane was able to at least maintain some sort of strength and and widespread rainfall across California into Nevada and then up into the central and northern Rockies as well. So we've got this nice carve out of actually really good soil moisture, which we don't typically see this time of year from California all the way up into Montana. That does two things. One, it keeps the vegetation a little bit more alive. So it, it cuts down on the wildfire risk there. And two, just with the soils and everything being moist out there, it keeps temperatures down a bit. We haven't seen uh, temperatures be too extreme over the course of the summer as we did farther east in the Southern Plains. And things are actually looking okay-ish for the wildfire situation where we have been missing around New Mexico and parts of Arizona and Southwestern Colorado, and then way up in the Northwest, we've got some wildfires active and we'll probably see those be impacting those folks up there. But we've, where we typically see them in California, in Nevada, uh, even parts of Idaho and Utah, we don't really have a good basis for saying we're going to have a very active wildfire season. So we're in a good spot. And then El Nino usually brings in some good moisture over the wintertime. So things are looking okay-ish, I'll say that, better than what we might have feared from when we were talking earlier this year, when we were talking about all that moisture, creating all this dead timber and dead brush and everything across the across the region. We're just not seeing that right now, which is a good thing. I want to really switch gears here and talk a little bit about the global picture because I think it's coming increasingly into focus. Give us the Latin American picture and what you are seeing there. And yeah, we'll pan over to to Eastern Europe and Asia and Australia as well. Yeah, with most of the Northern Hemisphere, summer is coming to a close and, and most of our crop year is too. And a lot of us up here are waiting for harvest. Everything is switching down first for South America towards planting. They, they have winter wheat down there in Argentina and Southern Brazil. And overall, they're they're sitting in a good spot for that. They've had some decent rainfall over the winter. And it's just only really over the last couple of weeks 
where we saw some uh, significant storm systems move through and, and bring some heavier rain. Uh, Argentina is coming off of one of their most historic droughts in the last hundred years last season. And through the winter, they got some mediocre rainfall. But just recently, things have been really shaping up for them. They had a couple of really good storm systems move through. One went over th- this last weekend. We got another one gun, uh, coming up this weekend and another one right after that sometime later next week. So things are looking really good for Argentina, honestly. It's a double-edged sword for Brazil, though. One of those systems parked itself in central Brazil and produced some scattered sh- showers and thunderstorms there. We've seen that kind of off and on since then, which is about a month ahead of schedule. Honestly, we talk about their rainy season and their dry season and their flip between the two instead of having a a winter and and a summer. And their wet season showers usually don't start until the end of September, but we saw them at the end of August. So they're headed towards some better soil moisture here going into planting. And they actually got a waiver in the state of Mato Grosso, which is the, the largest production state in Brazil, to start planting on September 1st. Usually they gotta wait till the 16th. So they're about two weeks ahead schedule. So that really opens up the window of opportunity for their first soybean crop, which they usually plant now here in September and October, harvest it in January and February and immediately plant their safrina corn. So that really opens up that window to have some better conditions for both of their crops. So that's good news for them. The only bad news we've seen out of this more active weather pattern has been some flooding across southern Brazil. Their last safrina corn crop was planted very late last year because of some heavy rain. And they've had some troubles getting it out of the fields. Now we're typically starting to think about field prep for planting, and they've still got some corn out there they need to harvest. I think the latest measurement was about 15% of their safrina corn still needs to come out. So it's a pretty decent chunk of it. And the heavier rain has been keeping them a little bit slower at getting that last little bit in. And it's also been flooding some of the areas down there in the state of Rio Grande do Sul, where they do a lot of their wheat. So we're worried a little bit about the wheat in that area. But a lot of those soils are sandier, and if they flood, they can drain off pretty quickly. So we're not overly concerned. And if this pattern stays active like it is, and typically is during El Nino, they're set up in really good shape there in South America, really everywhere. The only places that we're that really have any major concerns is that state of Mato Grosso. Usually they see drier than normal conditions. When you average eight to 12 inches of rain a month, a little drier than normal isn't such a bad thing, honestly. It allows you to get a little bit more sunshine and and fill out your soybeans. So honestly, South Americans just love El Nino usually for, for the vast majority of folks down there, it produces uh, some good weather conditions for growing crops. They're in, in a good shape there. If we pan over to Australia, kind of the complete opposite. Uh, El Nino's really a bad thing for Australian crops. Since El Nino's been building, uh, we've been seeing a lot of heat and dryness concerns popping up in uh, Eastern Australia. The rainfall has been a lot more sparse and the heat's been a little bit more intense and we're starting to get a little bit more through their reproductive stages of growth for their wheat and canola. So we might have some production issues there. I think a lot of that's already baked into the cake with expectations of El Nino, but there's potential there for dropping even farther than the initial expectations. We don't really see a whole lot of production out of Africa. The the country of, of South Africa also is one of those that doesn't really like El Nino. It's not a huge impact, not as much as it is for Australia or South America, because honestly, it's on the other side of the world from the Pacific. So El Nino has its least impacts across Africa and Europe. But we do end up with 
abnormally dry conditions most times in South Africa. It might not be a huge impact there, but they do grow a lot of corn down there. And that will be a kind of a spot that I'm looking at a little bit more closely here this winter as well. Anything of note when you're looking at Eastern Europe or the Asia area, especially wheat is top of mind. Right. Yeah. And over the last couple of years, wheat production in like the Black Sea area, Ukraine and, and Russia, war notwithstanding, has been has been actually pretty good. They've had some really good weather conditions for most of the, of the last couple of years. El Nino really doesn't have a huge impact on them because again, they're on the exact opposite side of the world from it. But what we've seen here, at least recently, is some drier conditions and some heat reducing a little bit of soil moisture there as they start planting their winter wheat. It looks like that continues at least through mid-September. We'll see how kind of things change after that. I'm not really uh, confident on, on, on the forecast, we'll say that. I mentioned a bunch of caveats here for the U.S. I have even a, a lower grip on, on how things are handled there in, in Eastern Europe. So they're going to need a little bit more rain to help get them off to a better start here for the winter wheat. Although it's not you know too terrible right now, we could see that the conditions worsening. And if they do, then we're a little bit more concerned about them. As you move into Asia then, China and India are big spots. And India, not so much this year. I think everything's gone okay this year, except with their monsoon. Usually during El Nino's, they have a weaker monsoon, and that has certainly come to pass this season. Uh, very, very poor rainfall patterns here across most of India. It's really just picked up in the last week or so, but they don't have a whole lot of built up moisture for irrigating their winter wheat and canola over the winter time when they don't see a whole lot of rainfall and they grow that winter wheat. And it's become an important crop here in the markets the last couple of seasons. And if they don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of irrigation there, we could see some issues for that. So I'm looking more towards next year for that than this year. Same kind of thing with, with China. Uh, they've, they've had some okay weather conditions. They've had some issues with flooding in earlier in August with a couple of tropical systems that moved through. But overall, the, the soil moisture around the region is in good shape. So their corn and soybean crop did pretty well outside of some of those areas that had flooding. And uh, they're set up in in pretty good spot for their winter wheat and their winter oil seed production over the winter. I don't see a huge issue for them currently, but El Nino typically draws moisture away from that area. So we may have some issues coming up. We'll keep an eye on that. Last question, I think here on that winter outlook, obviously we are well into the farmer's almanac territory of it's many months (laughs) away. And I think the last five, eight years or so have seen from the 60 degree weather the last week of December to the 60 degree weather the first week in February, the the cold snap in Texas and the drying up of the Mississippi in the middle of the winter. And we've had a number of very bizarre and extreme winter weather conditions in very recent memory. And With that prelude, I invite you to say some things about your winter weather outlook. Yeah, the wildness, you can almost pin that 100% on La Nina. And geez, I'm so sick and tired of saying the the phrase La Nina, Uh, but we're finally getting out of it. And so we're going to get some better conditions here across most of the U.S. over the winter. Um, If you like short winter seasons, if you like decent but not overly crazy precipitation, 
the Corn Belt's the, the, the place to be. Usually during El Nino, we see above normal temperatures and really from the Mississippi River over to Kansas and northward. And we would see that farther south too, except we, we expect more precipitation around there. I mentioned that earlier, but just sticking with the Corn Belt in particular right now, uh, it, it ends up usually being a, a pretty warm winter, especially when we start off in December. December is during these stronger El Nino events and, and these super El Ninos just basically have a textbook. It's going to be warm in December. Warm is a relative term, of course, and it can still be chilly. It's not like it's going to be 80 degrees in North Dakota in December, but above normal temperatures and near normal precipitation. It's interesting. Usually that they don't coincide like that. Usually if you get above normal temperatures and such a a strong signal for it, we get below normal precipitation, but that's not the case during El Nino's for ever anywhere except for the Ohio Valley. So the Ohio Valley, those kind of I states through Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, even Michigan and the Southern Great Lakes end up with a little bit of a signal for below normal precipitation. Now, of course, these areas, we don't want to have below normal precipitation. We don't have a whole lot of soil moisture out there right now anyway. And if we don't really recharge it through the fall and the winter, we're really going to be reliant on that spring rainfall. But as, as long as we have a shorter winter season, we have the ability then to bring in a lot more thunderstorms for the springtime. And that's where we really would really crank up some good conditions there. It's really interesting to see El Nino's in play. Cause if you look at December, January, February, March, even sometimes into April, all those months almost look like carbon copies to them. It's really amazing. We stay above normal temperatures across the Northern US. We may be a little bit on the cool side across the Southern US, but that's only because the the storm track is so active down there. And so a lot of that that, uh, drought that we see across Texas and the Southern Plains, South Central US, really a lot of that tends to go away during the winter. We usually don't talk about winter precipitation eliminating drought. But under El Nino's, that's a pretty good possibility. And with this kind of extending all the way into into springtime as well, I think that bodes well for a lot of folks down there across the South. Now, El Nino's is not going to stick around for more than the season. Usually we don't see an El Nino last more than six to 12 months. And so this one won't be any different. It doesn't look like all the long range uh, models, which actually are much better at, at forecasting El Nino's and La Nina's than they are at forecasting precipitation and temperature across the U.S. Those models there have us getting back in a neutral camp by next summer. So I'm looking forward to a, a better 2024 season than even 2023, which for a lot of us was better than 2022. So looking up in that regard. You can read John's full and most recent analysis, gain access to all his forecasts, and read up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag weather at dtnpf.com, or check out his column in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to John Brannick. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier, Kylie Swanson, and Susan Payne. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here.